When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello, and welcome to Voices from the Battlefield, part of Waterloo Remembered. The next extract is read by researcher Helen Jensen and consists of the recollections of Surgeon Sir Charles Bell. When news of the Battle of Waterloo reached London on the 22nd of June, the surgeon and artist Sir Charles Bell told his fellow surgeon and brother-in-law they had an ideal opportunity to study a few gunshot wounds for a new treatise. On the morning of the 26th, they set out for Brussels. Bell kept notes in his sketchbook alongside his drawings of the wounded. The 28th of June. On reaching Brussels, how extraordinary. We entered by a very dirty part of the low town. We passed a rag market, a fish market, a fair, a, a great concourse. The wounded were everywhere conspicuous, dragging, pale, a great many wounded in the head. Those, of course, are ambulatory and move about. And on the doors of the houses, signs, cinq blessés, trois blessés, quatre blessés. And on passing the church, now a hospital, God, what a piece of perspective. 30th of June. A little while I must write before going to bed. But how, in such a crowd of images, after such fatigue, fatigue which I did not know I could have undergone, I've been chiefly working in the four great hospitals, but I must speak of the townspeople as a common traveller. It would be natural to say how stupid, how supine, but no, the excitement and the exertions here have been the greatest possible. But it is past, and I must not wonder at it if I do not see others feel what I, as a newcomer, feel. I must not wonder at the smiles and at people transacting their business as in ordinary days. I must understand that the people have... No, it is too much. The 1st of July. I, who cannot exert myself at home without my full eight hours, cannot rest here after four hours. 
I write this in bed. I must spare my energy for work. The force with which the cuirassier must have come on is wonderful indeed. We have an officer wounded. A sword pierced the back and upper part of the thigh and went through the woodwork and the leather of the saddle, entered the horse's body, pinning the man to the horse. An officer who only repeats what others of a certain rank say remarked to me that Wellington might well be alarmed for his own impetuosity. While the newspapers announced Bonaparte's departure from Paris, he said, if I can only permit him to come on far enough to show his intention distinctly, and that he thus stands committed, I think I can do for him. I never hear of Wellington saying a thing well, but rather as if he affected a sort of boyish slang. In any event, either there was a complete surprise, or these three Scottish regiments were sacrificed to this intention, for they were successively cut down as they marched up, one regiment after another. Wellington said during the battle it will all be over by and by. He expected the flank movement of the Prussians directly. They did not come till five hours after he expected. It was thought that we were prepared for a great battle. Yet here we are, eleven days after, only making arrangements for the reception of the wounded. The expression is continually heard. We were not prepared for this. On what then did the success of the day depend? On the intrepid fighting of the British soldier. 3rd of July. I could not sleep for thinking of the wounded French. Pensez, pensez, major docteur, or coupé, coupé, sounded in my ears. So I rose at four one morning and I wrote to the surgeon-in-chief. And I have taken it upon me to perform all the capital operations on the wounded French. No small effort. Therefore resigned all other objectives I had in any case already seen and drawn, far more than I expected in the British hospitals. After three days of the most severe application to the surgical duties I had undertaken to the French wounded, and all those without sleep, I rested. The worst now being attended to, I resolved Thursday to give over to viewing the field. From a little beyond Brussels, the road is through the forest of Soigny. Fifteen miles to Waterloo, the road unencumbered but by horrid smells. Waterloo, a quiet little village in which all is already quiet and tranquil. Here we mounted the forest continuing on. We at last emerged from the avenue, the field of battle opening up before us to our right and left. Our first note of arrival on the scene was the disorder on the left-hand side of the road by the bivouac of horses. I suppose the draft horses of the ammunition. A little further on we saw collected 132 pieces of fine French guns. We took guides and turned off to the left of the road to Nivelle and advanced along the plateau to the centre of the British position. Along the whole brow of the elevated ground were many recently buried, very, very many graves. Arms, knapsacks, hats, letters, books. It is inconceivable the number of such things strewn about. Riding over this hill we looked down upon Hougamont. We walked round the narrow lane behind it and entered where the guards died. 
this beautiful farm, a complete thing, was set fire to by the rockets. It is burned and a ruin all but one little corner on which is written the quarters of General Bing. The gate towards the south and looking to the position of Bonaparte is shattered with shot. The guards here put down the trees in front. Some of the standing trees have sixty shot in them. The ground is ploughed up and the trees cut about by shot. In the rear of this position is a great heap of reeking bones, probably from the collection of the guards. In front and at the south gate within the wood, a very large heap of half-buried bodies. The French were repulsed in their repeated attacks upon this point. Passing through the little wood which surrounds the farmhouse, we come to the ditch without where the French had lain in great strength. The ground was trodden down, the corn quite laid down. From Hougamont we rode over the rising ground, covered with standing corn, and through the field we could still observe the movements of the French, making streets through the fields, leaving the corn neat, cut as it were, no straggling. They must have moved on in deep column and in numbers completely to beat the corn into the ground. Half a mile of ascent brought us to the position of Bonaparte. This is the highest ground in the Pays-Bas. A noble expanse is before the eye and the circumstance of the ground still imprinted with the tyrant's foot, the place where the aide-de-camp galloped to and fro, the whole extent of this important field under the eye fills the imagination. I climbed up one of the pillars of the scaffolding, as I was once wont to do after birds' nests, but I found me more heavy. We got a ladder from the farm court and it reached up close to the first platform. I mounted and climbed with some difficulty. The view, magnificent, yet I was only one third up the great machine. Yet it was a giddy height. Here Bonaparte stood, surveying the field. What name for him but Macbeth, a man who stands alone? There is something magnificent in this idea, then exalted to a giddy height, and now how much further to fall than to the ground. His friends dispersed, his squadrons broken, all in Derut, and well he knew, for he seems to know mankind well, he knew the consequence. He must have turned to the right of the scaffolding and joined the road de Chausset, a little to the side of La Belle Alliance. There he must have met the wreck of his forces. A little further on the road his carriage was found. This position of Bonaparte is most excellent. The machine had been placed by the side of the road, but he ordered it to be shifted. The shifting of this scaffolding shows sufficiently the power of confidence and resolution of the man. It is about sixty feet in height. I climbed it upon four times the length of my body by exact measurement, and this was only the first stage. I was filled with admiration of a man of his habit of life who could stand perched on a height of 65 feet above everything and contemplate and see and manage such a scene. Already dwells here, for although it is midday and sun bright and all shining in gladness, yet there is a mournful silence contrasted with the scene which has so recently been enacted. No living thing is here, no kites, 
no birds of any kind, nothing but a few wretched men and old women, scattered across a great distance, gathering souvenirs from the destruction. Musket balls are thickly strewn, letters, books, caps, halters, pack saddles, such things cover the ground. Picking up letters, you are at once carried home to the cottage of some poor fellow who fell. It's a letter from his mother, or his father. We found letters which one man received when he was in Spain. And letters home, begun but never sent. I picked up one such, stained with blood. I shall preserve it for the sake of the commentary written in the annals of this bloody day. That was researcher Helen Jensen reading from the recollections of surgeon Sir Charles Bell. And you can follow Helen on Twitter at that Jensen woman. Stay tuned to The Napoleon Assist, where more instalments of the Voices from the Battlefield series will be released throughout the day.